this is Adults with Through with Who Are You with Adults with Through Podcast. And hey, we wanted to do a review today, The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. And we already know for us, it's easy to do and it's easy not to do. And hey, that's Jeff Olson's philosophy. You know, you have the philosophy of responsibility, the discipline, your values, and your drive. Then you have your blame, neglect, and entitlement. But also the philosophy of attitude, action, results equals your lifestyle. And we're going to go ahead and go into the Jeff Olson for his review. Some people seem to make dream after dream come true, while others spend their lives building someone else's dream. Why are some people successful? This is an audio recording of the book, The Slight Edge, written by Jeff Olson. In it, you'll learn the answers to the questions you've asked over and over again. Why is it that some people seem to make dream after dream come true, while others spend their lives building someone else's dream. Why are some people successful and some people failures? Why do some people never seem to manage to take the time to stay in shape, while others run a few miles each day, even though their lives are just as busy? Why are some people digging deeper and deeper into debt, while others just keep earning more money? What is the difference, really? The difference is the slight edge. This phenomenal book and recording explain how to create powerhouse results from simple daily activities and also tell of the catalyst that can make all the information in other self-help books actually work in your life. This episode of the Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you by Combatant Gentlemen. Combatant Gentlemen is a new kind of menswear company that cut out the middle band and mark up some clothing production because they own their own factories, plant their own cotton, even raise their own sheep to make them wool. Jeff Olson. In it, you'll learn the answers to the questions you've asked over and over again. Why is it that some people seem to make dream after dream come true, while others spend their lives building someone else's dream? Why are some people successful and some people failures? Why do some people never seem to manage to take the time to stay in shape, while others run a few miles each day, even though their lives are just as busy? Why are some people digging deeper and deeper into debt, while others just keep earning more money? What is the difference, really? The difference is the slight edge. This phenomenal book and recording explain how to create powerhouse results from simple daily activities, and also tell of the catalyst that can make all the information in other self-help books actually work in your life. The Shoeshine Woman I arrived at the Phoenix Airport about 6.30 in the morning. Having time before my plane left, I looked around to see if there was a place where I could get my shoes shined. There was hardly anybody in the airport at that time of the morning, so I strolled around. Before long, I found a shoe shine stand. It was open. A woman in her mid to late 40s sat in one of the customer chairs, absorbed in a paperback book. She was dressed in black stretch pants, a black apron, and a white shirt. She seemed like a nice, solid person. I walked over to a stand. The woman greeted me warmly. She was friendly and happy. Not always an easy way to be before the sun comes up, I thought. She got up, set down her book, first carefully folding over the corner of the page she'd been reading, then took up the tools of her trade and pleasantly ushered me into the chair. She went to work on my shoes and we started talking. Her daughter, she told me, had just won a cheerleading contest. Boy, was she proud of her. The girl was hoping to go to a cheerleading camp in Dallas. 
tell you the truth, she confided, her voice dropping a bit. I don't know how in the world I'm going to find the money to buy her the uniform and plane ticket, let alone the camp tuition. In just the few minutes that I sat with this woman, I learned a good deal about her life and about her. She loved her family, and for that matter, liked people in general. She made friends easily and was a natural-born communicator. It was also clear that she enjoyed her work. And it's a good thing she does, I thought, because she'd been there shining shoes in that same spot for more than five years. I couldn't help but wonder what this woman's life would be like if she had taken a different path five years earlier. She was well-spoken, carried herself well, and was friendly and affable. With different clothes and a little attention to her hair, she could easily pass for a successful business person. I noticed the book she'd been reading. It was a popular novel, something to pass the time, to survive the stretches of occupational boredom by living vicariously in someone else's imagined romance. There was a little heap of them sitting dog-eared by the wall. What if, instead of spending 10 or 15 minutes here and there, tucked in between customers, sinking into the pages of those forgettable novels, she had spent the last five years reading books that were genuinely life-changing? What if that little stack of books included Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, or David Bach's Smart Women Finish Rich? Where would she be today? The shoeshine woman was a hard worker, good with people. She knew how to read and clearly enjoyed doing so. She was a superb communicator. She obviously had the talent, personality, and basic life skills to accomplish a lot than just living off the tips from shining the shoes of people who could afford to buy their kids' new uniforms and tickets to Dallas. But she was spending her life building other people's dreams, not her own. Your income tends to equal the average of the incomes of your five best friends I've used. What if she had spent time around people with significantly higher incomes than her own? What if, instead of hanging out with her colleagues here at the airport, she had cultivated a different group of friends? What if she'd been associating with powerful people, successful people, mentors, movers, shakers, leaders? She could easily have done this. She's a terrific conversationalist. If she had, where would she be today? I'm not making a value judgment on modest incomes or simple occupations. There are people who work the humblest of jobs, yet live lives rich in relationships and joy. Just as there are extremely wealthy people who are also extremely unhappy. And I'm not criticizing popular novels, but it was clear that this woman was struggling. And as we sat there talking, I'd have bet anything that she wanted more out of life. It was clear that she wanted to give her daughter the uniform and the Dallas trip, things she couldn't afford in the life she was living. And it was clear that it was so much on her mind, she confided her worries to a complete stranger within five minutes of meeting him. She wanted more, it was plain to see. Why didn't she have it? She's industrious, motivated and smart. She reads, she listens, she's sharp. Where would she be today if she'd set foot on a different path a year ago, five years ago? You can bet she wouldn't be shining my shoes. Managing a chain of shoe shine stands is more like it. Would she be having any trouble sending her daughter to Dallas? I bet she'd be sponsoring the entire team and going with them too. While this woman with the wonderful personality continued shining my shoes, I was watching her in my mind's eye, seeing her on a plane to Texas, surrounded by giggling, excited, happy teenagers, seeing her being successful in so many different ways, in so many areas, making such a difference in her own life and the lives of so many others. If only, what, what was missing? Feelings welled up in me, a mix of frustration and sadness. I felt for a moment as if I were going to cry, and I wondered, why are you so moved by all this? You've seen this a hundred times before. Why are you so affected by it all? One reason I knew was that it reminded me of another person I'd observed before. Nice, like the shoeshine woman. A good person, just not succeeding in life. The Beach Bum I was born and raised in 
Albuquerque, New Mexico. My dad died when I was 10. I remember being handed the flag from his casket. My mom held everything together. She was a great loving mom, but it was still a rough way to grow up. A fatherless, blonde-headed kid in a Hispanic neighborhood who didn't fit in. I really didn't know what to do with it all, so I turned my energy into mischief and misbehavior. I blamed everything and everyone. In third grade, my teachers informed me that I had a low IQ. I quickly gained a reputation for mischief and troublemaking. While my mom worked her way through the years, I struggled my way through school. By age 19, it was clear to anyone who knew me that I didn't have much of a future. I begged my way into the University of New Mexico. At college, I built on my previous academic career and succeeded in taking my C average to a D average. I did learn one thing, though. I learned that when spring break came, all the students went to Daytona Beach for a week. I thought I could do one better. I quit school and moved there. At Daytona Beach, I pursued my first profession. I became a beach bum. I lifted weights and chased girls. I let my hair grow long and curly. People started calling me Gorgeous George after the wrestler. I got a job at the Orlando Country Club cutting the grass on the golf course. One day, as I was cutting the greens in the hot Florida sun, I paused to watch the wealthy club members playing golf on the grass I had cut. As I watched them hum to and fro in their zippy golf carts, in dapper, fine golf outfits, with their classy golf bags filled with expensive golf clubs, I felt a burning question simmer up inside. Why is it that they're over there riding in carts, and I'm over here working? I'm as good as these people are. How do they get to have it ten times better than me? Are they ten times better than me? Are they ten times smarter? Or do they work ten times harder? Or... You're looking good, sir. Looking good. The shoeshine woman was grinning at me. Just another customer lost in his early morning thoughts. And another job well done. I looked down. I could see my reflection in my shoes. Indeed I am. Looking good. Thank you. Thanks very much. I paid her, gave her as big a tip as I could without, I hoped, having her feel I was being patronizing, and walked away with clean shoes and a heavy heart. It had taken many years, but I was fortunate enough to have found my way out of my beach bum career. I was no longer cutting the greens of other people's leisurely pursuits. I had found my way to a good life. She was right. For me, things were looking good, sir. Looking good. But why the beach bum and not the shoeshine woman? While my shoes had been getting a shine, the airport had grown busier. I now walked through a growing throng of travelers as I walked my way toward the gate. I noticed all the faces filing past me. Hardly anyone was smiling. Most of my fellow travelers were trudging with their heads bowed down. I saw bored expressions, vacant, porch lights on, dogs barking, but nobody's home. Everybody looked so tired. Failing is exhausting. I heard angry words. I stopped for a cup of coffee and heard a young couple arguing with each other. A burly man scolded his young son to the point of tears. A heavy woman complained about the service, then the prices, then her food, then started back on the service again. The other people in the line nodded their heads. A few joined her in a chorus of negativity. Why is everyone so down? Everything these people need to know to change their lives for the better is already available. All the information they could possibly need to put them on a path of extraordinary success and fulfillment is out there in books and tapes, videos, and workshops. There are people to help them, rich, living resources to guide them, be their mentors, teachers, coaches, and allies. I knew that the difference between who they were and who they could be wasn't based on any lack of good information. It was all readily available. But why, if the information is all there, all the resources are there, and these people really do want to succeed, then why aren't they doing it? I looked around the airport as the early morning rush hour swelled its ranks of busy, scurrying, scowling, unhappy people, shambling past with no spark in their faces, no bounce in their step. I wished I could somehow address them all, that I could touch all their lives with my silent soliloquy. The problem
I shouted out in my head is that you don't have a way to process the information. There is no framework in place for you to take all the extraordinary insight that's out there and put it to work in your life. If only you were aware of the slight edge. If only you knew what it was doing in your life and how easy it is to have the slight edge working for you instead of against you. If only you were making the right choices, doing those simple little disciplines that would change your life for the better forever, where would you be in five years? If only you learned to recognize the slight edge, if only... But it was only in my head. Not a soul heard my words. Nobody, that is, but me. That day on the plane, I started writing this book. The slight edge is not just more good information. It's not just another self-help success book packed with some revolutionary new best way of doing things. You don't need that. Nobody needs that. All the new and better information is already available and has been for years. This book is designed to help you use that information. This book is what I wish will help you take whatever information you want, whatever how-tos or strategies or goals or aspirations, and turn them into the life you want. This book is what I wish I could have put into that sweet and sad shoeshine woman's hands. I've since been back to that airport. In fact, I've been back through there many, many times. I've looked for the shoeshine woman, but she's no longer there. I don't know where she is or what has happened in her life, but I do know this, she is not alone. There are millions upon millions of people, everywhere I go, everywhere I look, whose lives are not all they wish for, not all they yearn for, not even close. And yet, they could be. So I dedicate this book to that shoeshine woman, to her daughter, to her daughter's cheerleading team, and to everyone else in the world who wants more. I dedicate this book to you. A question. Two boys, two powerful choices, riches or poverty, life or death. You are making those same choices every day, every hour, and the choices you make are spreading out through your life, just like the water hyacinth. You may not see the results today or tomorrow or even next year. In fact, by the time you finally do see the results, the process will probably be so far along that the surface of the pond will be completely covered. The question is, covered with what? Chapter 1, Part 1, The Slight Edge In his 1841 essay, Compensation, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, The law of nature is, do the thing, and you shall have the power. But they who do not the thing, have not the power. Take two seemingly similar people, and give them both the exact same opportunity. One takes it and has remarkable success, the other doesn't. One wins, the other does not. Why? During my years in business, I've worked with several thousand people from every imaginable walk of life. They've all had the exact same opportunity. Several dozen of these people have become millionaires. Many more have earned a good, solid living. But the great majority of them, faced with exactly the same opportunities, have gone nowhere. Why? It's not a matter of luck, nor is it timing, nor fate. It's not a matter of intelligence, skill, or talent either. People everywhere are clamoring for the formula, the secret, the path to improve their lives. Tell me how you did this so I can do it too. Give me the definitive plan. There's more good, solid, how-to information available today about these things and more than there's ever been in history. But that's not how it works. If you're one of the millions looking for cookie-cutter answers to the great questions in life, you can call off the search right now. How to do it is not the issue. If how to do it were the answer, it would be done. If access to the right information were the answer, we'd all be rich, healthy, happy, and fulfilled. And most of us are none of those things. Why not? Because the answer is only the answer. It isn't actually doing the thing. It isn't applying the answer, living the answer. It's only information. It's not that how-to books are not valuable. It's just that another how-to book is not what you need. What you need to transform your life.
apply them, live them, and achieve those results you want. The secret ingredient is your philosophy. The secret is to change the way you think. When you change the way you think, you take the steps you need to take to lead you to your how-tos. If you don't change your thinking, no amount of how-tos will offer a real solution. What I'm talking about is not difficult to do. It simply means changing your thinking, your philosophy. The reason diets and other how-tos don't work for most people is the same reason most how-to books and courses don't work for most people. It isn't that the actions are wrong, it's that people don't keep doing them. Focusing on the actions, the what-to-dos and the how-to-do-its is not enough because it's the attitude behind the actions that keep those actions in place. Aha, it's attitude. So, what I need is an attitude adjustment? No, that won't do it either. Focusing on attitude isn't any more effective than focusing on actions, because attitudes are fickle. Your emotions change. Today you're excited about getting fit. You feel like doing your 20 minutes on the treadmill. Great, but what if tomorrow you just don't feel like doing it? To find the path to success, you have to back up one more step. It's the understanding behind the attitudes that are behind the actions. It's the philosophy. That's the secret ingredient. Your philosophy is what you know, how you hold it, how it affects what you do. That's what this book is about. Yes, you have to know the winning how-to actions, and you have to possess the winning attitudes. But what generates all that and keeps it all in place is your philosophy. A positive philosophy turns into a positive attitude, which turns into positive actions, which turns into positive results, which turns into a positive lifestyle. A negative philosophy turns into a negative attitude, which turns into negative actions, which turns into negative results, which turns into a negative lifestyle. There are two prevalent types of attitudes, entitled and value-driven. A value-driven attitude says, what can I do to help you? An entitled attitude says, what have you done for me lately? An entitled attitude says, pay me more and then maybe I'll work harder. A value-driven attitude says, I'll work harder and then I expect you to pay me more. Which of these attitudes is driven by Emerson's philosophy, do the thing and you'll have the power? Your philosophy is what you know, how you hold what you know, and how it affects what you do. You can look at anyone's actions and trace back through the attitudes behind those actions to their source. The philosophy behind the attitudes. Show me what a man does and I'll show you what his philosophy is. The slight edge philosophy. People are looking for a breakthrough. The philosophy of the craps table and roulette wheel. I don't believe they'll ever find it. I've had colossal failures and I've had remarkable successes. And my experience is neither happens as a breakthrough. They happen through the slight edge. The purpose of this book is to have you understand the slight edge philosophy, to make it part of how you see the world how you live your life every day. To understand patience, to understand that little steps compounded do make a difference. That the things you do every single day, the things that don't look dramatic, that don't even look like they matter, do matter. That they not only make a difference, they make all the difference. Success is the progressive realization of a worthy idea. There is a natural progression to everything in life. Plant, cultivate, harvest. The slight edge is having faith in the process of simple, positive actions repeated over time. The faith that miracles do happen if you know when to trust the process. The slight edge is the missing ingredient you need for all the self-help books, how-tos, and life guides to work. If you don't grasp the truth of the slight edge, then no matter what health books you read, you're not going to be willing to do the little things that lead you to a healthy life. No matter what you learn, no matter how many books you read, tapes and CDs you listen to, or seminars you attend, if you don't absorb this philosophy of simple steps and their compounded effect over time, you won't 
successfully apply those things you learn to create the results you want. The slight edge will prepare you to be able to absorb all that other information, guidance, and education from all those other books, classes, situations, and experiences. What are you after? What do you want more of in your life? Better health? A feeling of vitality and renewed vigor? Richer and more satisfying relationships with your family, friends, and colleagues? A happier marriage? Financial freedom and long-term financial security? A greater sense of meaning in your life? more involvement in your spiritual life, in making contributions to your community, at home or around the world. You need a place to start. The Slight Edge is that starting point. It's the first ingredient. Chapter 2. The Secret of Easy Things. Why is it that some people seem to make dream after dream come true, while others spend their lives building someone else's dream? Why are some people successful and some people failures? Why do some families have such great relationships, such warmth and fun and caring closeness, while others are perennially angry with each other? Why are some people positive and upbeat, while others are miserably negative, constantly complaining and criticizing? Why is it some people never seem to manage the time to stay in shape, while others run a few miles each day even though their lives are just as busy? Why are some people digging deeper and deeper into debt, while others just keep earning more money? What's the difference, really? If you simply look around you, you can see it. Most of us aren't making it. My observation is that about one person in 20 is achieving a significant measure of his or her goals in life, financial, professional, personal, marital, spiritual, in terms of health, in whatever terms you want to look at. 95% are either failing or falling short. What are the 5% doing that the 95% are not? There's only one difference. It's not heredity, education, looks, talent, or inheritance. It's not preparedness meeting opportunity, and it's not chance either. There's only one difference, and that difference is the slight edge. If you will learn to understand and apply the slight edge, I'll guarantee you that in time, chances are less time than you would imagine, you will have what you want. You will be among the 5%. You will be successful. And you will achieve those aims, goals, and dreams by doing simple things. A bold claim, I know. And I only make it because I know it's true. I've seen it too many times to doubt it. If you learn to understand and apply the slight edge, your life will become filled with hundreds of thousands of small, seemingly insignificant actions, all of them easy to do, none of them mysterious, complex, or difficult. And those actions will create your success. That's what successful people do. Simple things that are easy to do. Oh, wait a minute. How are these simple everyday actions supposed to create all this wonderful happiness, health, and success for me? If they're all so easy to do, if anyone can do them. If these are the things anyone can do, why are only 5% successful? Excellent question. Because they're all so easy not to do. And while everyone could do them, most won't. Fundamentally, we all take pretty much the same actions every day. We eat, sleep, think, feel, talk, and listen. We have relationships and friendships. We each have 24 hours a day, 8,760 hours a year. And we each fill these hours one way or the other with a sequence of little tasks and actions, any one of which is seemingly insignificant. Winners and losers both do the same things in their lives, day in and day out. Yet the things winners do take them to the top, while the things losers do take them down and out. So what's the difference? The difference is their awareness, understanding, and use of the slight edge in their life and work. Successful winners understand the slight edge. Unsuccessful people do not. The difference that will make all the difference between success and failure, between achieving the quality of life you want and settling for less than you desire and deserve, lies 100% in which of those little insignificant actions you choose to do. This is why we are all capable of doing what it takes to be successful, 
We are all capable of being winners, and yes, that includes you. The slight edge is always working. For you or against you, the slight edge is already at work in all of our lives. The purpose of this book is to help you become aware of it, how it is working in your life every day, every hour, every moment, in every step you take, and every choice you make. Everything you need to do to transform your life is easy to do. Every action you need to take to make any and all of your dreams come true is easy. So why is it then that the masses are unhappy, unhealthy, and financially bound? Every action that any of these goals requires is easy to do. Here's the problem. Every action that is easy to do is also easy not to do. Why are these simple yet crucial things easy not to do? Because if you don't do them, they won't kill you. At least, not today. You won't suffer or fail or blow it today. Something is easy not to do when it won't bankrupt you, destroy your career, ruin your relationships, or wreck your health today. What's more, not doing it is usually more comfortable than doing it would be. But that simple, seemingly insignificant error in judgment, compounded over time, will kill you. It will destroy you and ruin your chances for success. Just not today. You can count on it. It's the slight edge. That's the choice you face every day, every hour. A simple positive action repeated over time. A simple error in judgment repeated over time. You can always count on the slight edge. And unless you make it work for you, the slight edge will work against you. If I could have had a magic wand that day in the Phoenix airport as I sat thinking and having my shoes shined, one of the first things I would have done would have been to wave it at the little pile of paperbacks. I would have waved the wand and presto, now there would be a little reading table piled with Napoleon Hill, James Allen, Stephen Covey, and George S. Classen. Because the simple truth is, how you feed your mind is every bit as critical to your happiness as how you feed your body. But then, we would have run into a problem. Everything you need to know to be successful, every how-to, every practical action is already written in books like these. Here's a slight edge action guaranteed to change your life. Read just 10 pages of a good book, a book aimed at improving your life every day. If you read 10 pages of a good book today, will your life change? Of course not. If you don't read 10 pages of a good book today, will your life fall apart? Of course not. I could tell my shoeshine friend that if she would agree to read 10 pages of one of these good books every single day over time, she could not help but accumulate all the knowledge she'd ever need to be successful as she ever wanted to be. Successful enough to send her daughter to that cheerleading camp and hey, send her to the best college in the country if she wanted. Like a penny over time, reading 10 pages a day would compound, just like that, and create a $10 million bank of knowledge in her, equipping her to succeed if she'd apply the slight edge philosophy to activate that knowledge. Over the course of a year, she would have read 3,650 pages, the equivalent of one or two dozen books of life-transforming material. Would her life have changed? Absolutely, no question. But here, back in week one, all that's still an invisible result. And that is exactly why most people never learn to recognize or understand the slight edge. The reason most people never learn how to make the slight edge work for them and why the slight edge ends up working against them. When you make the right choice, you won't see the results, at least not today. We live in a result-focused world. We expect to see results, and we expect to see them now. Push the button, the light flicks on. Step on the scale, look in the mirror, check the account balance online 24-7. Give me feedback, trip a sensor, hit a buzzer, tell me, tell me, tell me it's working. But that's not how success is built. Success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. Progressive means success is a process, not a destination. It's something you experience gradually over time. And here's how real success is built. 
By the time you get the feedback, the real work's already done. When you get to the point where everyone else can see your results, tell you what good choices you've made, notice your good fortune, slap you on the back and tell you how lucky you are, the critical slight edge choices you made are ancient history. And chances are, at the time you actually made those choices, nobody noticed but you. And even you wouldn't have noticed unless you understood the slight edge. I'm sure you've heard about the power of compounding interest. In fact, you've probably heard about it many times. What makes this time different? Nothing, unless you act on it. The single most important thing I can tell you about the slight edge is this. It's already working, right now, either for you or against you. So don't wait. My hope for you, my challenge to you, is that before you reach the last page of this book, you will have put in place a slight edge financial plan for yourself that you are consistently building your equity. Some simple daily or weekly or monthly discipline that over time will buy your financial freedom. Easy to do? Surprisingly so. Easy not to do? Tragically so. To give you a sense of the cost of waiting, listen to the following example. Let's say you and your best friend are both 24 years old. You both read The Slight Edge and decide you'd like to start putting away $2,000 a year into an IRA so you'll retire at age 65 with over a million dollars. Your friend starts doing it now. You wait. You don't get around to it this year or next or the next. In fact, you procrastinate for the next six years. At the beginning of year seven, you ask your friend how his IRA is doing. You are stunned when he tells you that he's finished. After investing $2,000 a year for six years at 12%, he's all set. By the age of 65, the little financial ball he started rolling will have snowballed into over $1 million, even if he never puts in another penny. That's it, you decide. It's time for action. You start putting in your $2,000 each year. How many years will it take before you've caught up to your friend? In other words, by what age will you be able to stop investing your annual $2,000 like he did? You can't believe your eyes when you see the answer. You're going to have to keep investing that $2,000 every single year until the age of 62. Your six years of procrastination has cost you 33 years of investing. That's 27 more years and $54,000 more invested just to arrive at the same place. But what if I'm not 24? What if I'm 44 or 64? Does that mean I've missed the boat? Are you saying it's too late for me? Not at all. You're never too old and it's never too late to start applying slight edge tactics to achieve your dreams, financial and otherwise. In fact, best-selling author David Bach has written an excellent book titled Start Late, Finish Rich, addressing exactly that issue. And it's a great companion to the slight edge. My point is simply that there is a cost to waiting. It's never too late to start. It's always too late to wait. I am as passionate about personal health and fitness as I am about financial health. I believe your health is the most prized possession. It amazes me how many people pay no attention to their health. You know what you're supposed to eat. We all do. Fresh fruits and vegetables, complex carbs, salads, whole foods, lean meats, more fish and poultry than beef. You know it, I know it, we all know it. So why do so many of us still go out and chow down cheeseburgers and fries every day? I'll tell you why. Because it won't kill us. Not today. If you ate a cheeseburger and immediately suffered a near-fatal heart attack, would you ever go near a cheeseburger again? I doubt it. It may take 20 or 30 years, but when you add up all the compounded interest on all that high-fat, artery-clogging, dietary mayhem, eventually, your poor, overworked heart just quits, stops dead, and so do you. We dig our graves with our teeth. It's easy to eat well, and it's easy not to. A simple positive action, a simple error in judgment, Either way, it's the slight edge at work, working for you or working against you. Invisible results. Why do you walk past the exercise bike? 
because it's easy. If you don't exercise today, will that kill you? No, of course not. You know what you need to do to stay healthy and feel fit and live a long life. Get your heart rate up a little over normal for 20 minutes, three times a week. You know it, I know it, everyone knows it, and it's easy to do. But it's also easy not to do. And if you don't do it today, or tomorrow, or the next day, you won't suddenly drop dead, and you won't suddenly put on 20 pounds, and you won't suddenly lose all your muscle tone and flop around like a marionette with his strings cut off. But that simple error in judgment, compounded over time, will take you down and out. You see one person eating a good meal, and the person next to him eating an awful meal. One person saving a penny, another spending a penny. One taking a brisk walk, another sitting and watching the news. Is there any difference between the two? Nothing you can see. Not today, and probably not tomorrow. It's easy to conclude and live as if it doesn't really make any difference. The difference between success and failure is not dramatic. In fact, the difference between success and failure is so subtle, most people miss it. They hold the philosophy that what they do doesn't really matter. It's not hard to see how people come to this understanding of life. I don't blame them. It's completely understandable. It's just not the truth. The truth is, what you do matters. What you do today matters. What you do every day matters. Those little things that will make you successful in life, that will secure your health, your happiness, your fulfillment, your dreams, are simple, subtle, tiny things that nobody will see, nobody will applaud, nobody will even notice. They are those things that, at the time you do them, often feel like they make absolutely no difference, like they don't matter. They do. Chapter 3 The Secret of Time So, you walk a little today and get your heart rate up a bit. You lift a few weights, you eat a little differently, then tomorrow morning you wake up and look in the mirror and see the same old flubber. You have to be pretty well along the path to see any significant results. What keeps you doing this simple thing day after day? Willpower. It's like my dad, or mom, my teacher, my boss, my older brother, my minister, myself, always told me, I just need more willpower. Really? I don't think so. Do you want to change? If so, I can show you how to tap into the most powerful force for change there is. Would you like to know what it is? Are you ready? Here it is. Time. Position your daily actions so time is working for instead of against you. Because time will either promote you or expose you. What keeps you on the path is your slight edge philosophy, which includes your understanding of the secret of time. Knowing the secret of time, you say, if I stay on this road long enough, I'll see the results I seek. It's not a question of your mood, your feelings, or your attitude. And it's not a question of willpower. It's a question of simply knowing. When you enter a darkened room, why does your hand reach out for the light switch? It's because you know that when you hit the switch, the light will go on. You don't have to give yourself positive self-talk about how you really ought to hit that light switch or set up a system of rewards and punishments for yourself around whether you follow through or not with hitting the light switch. You don't need any rigmarole. You just hit the light switch. Why? Because you know what will happen. You know. It's the exact same thing here. You walk a little every day, lift a few weights, eat a little better, and leave the penny in the purse. Hit the light switch. Because you know it will make you healthy and wealthy. The light will turn on. It's the exact same thing. No different. Except for one thing. And that is time. Instant life. If you were offered the same choice the wealthy man gave his sons, would you choose the million dollars or the penny? Most people would make the second boy's choice, the right now money. After all, a million dollars in cash, right now. And of course, you'd be making the wrong choice. And you would have been fooled, as millions of people around the globe are fooled every minute of every hour of every day by those two seductive little words, right now. 
It's become a truism to say we live in a push-button, instant gratification world. But this is a truth very much worth pondering, because it doesn't simply mean we have more impatient temperaments than our parents do. It represents an entirely different way of thinking, an entirely different philosophy. There is a natural progression in life, which everyone knew intimately back in the days when we were an agrarian society. You plant, then you cultivate, and finally you harvest. Plant, cultivate, harvest. In today's world, everyone wants to go directly from plant to harvest. We plant the seed by joining the gym, and then get frustrated when a few days go by and there's no fitness harvest. Taking recreational drugs is an effort to go from plant directly to harvest. So is taking steroids to enhance athletic performance. So is robbing a bank. So is playing the lottery. The step we keep overlooking and skipping is the step of cultivating. And that, unlike planting and harvesting, takes place only through the patient dimension of time. Because we are a culture raised on television and movies, we've lost track of time. In a film, we never see the little steps repeated hundreds of times which create the result. There isn't time. We might see a quick sequence of steps that conveys a super compressed sense of the evolution of the thing. The falling in love montage in practically every romantic comedy, or the training sequence in every sports movie. But these little slight edge-like dramas never last longer than 30 or 40 seconds. In real life, everything important happens through time. Success, remember, is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. All generations born since the advent of television, and especially since the rapid cutting style of MTV stepped up the pace, have a hard time grasping that. Which is one reason the slight edge is more important than ever. Plan, do, review is an approach to learning that began gaining credibility in educational institutions toward the end of the 20th century. And it's used in some of the better schools today. It's a slight edge strategy. Students plan what they're going to learn and create their own activities and experiments for study. Then they do what they planned. And then they review their planning and doing to see if anything was missing to help them learn what could be done to improve the process and the results they've accomplished. Then they plug these new insights into their next plan and they're often running up the slight edge curve to success. The operative slight edge strategy at work here is the constant and consistent back and forth of doing actions and correcting those actions. Course correction, just like the moon rocket. What this strategy produces is what business management philosophy has come to call continuous improvement. This idea was introduced to Japan after World War II by an American, W. Edwards Deming, a remarkable statistician. Dr. Deming consulted and lectured Japanese industrial leaders about total quality. He taught that the system is the solution and showed how it's always the source of the problem as well. Remember what happened to the Japanese and American auto industries in the 70s and 80s? The Japanese ate America's lunch in the marketplace. Know why? Slight edge strategy. They had it, we didn't. The Japanese took Deming's slight-edge teachings about simple little disciplines in improving quality, compounded them over time, and in less than a decade, they blew the much larger, richer, and more powerful industry leader, the United States, out of the water. So far out of the water, in fact, that the top-selling car in America for years was the Honda. It wasn't that the Americans didn't improve. The 1983 Chevy was clearly superior to the 1973 Chevy. But General Motors kept looking for those big breakthroughs, while the Japanese kept making little, seemingly insignificant improvements, which, compounded over time, enabled them to steal the spotlight in what was once almost exclusively an American car show. The Japanese had major automotive breakthroughs too, but they were the result of their slight edge strategy. In the 1990s, the American auto industry made a quick comeback. Great cars, record sales and profits. It was a stunning turnaround. And what turned it around were our automakers finally embracing the teachings of W. Edward Stemming. 
that a commitment to developing and sticking to a slight edge strategy will absolutely, positively send you to the top. Plan, do, review creates a structure and support system for continuously improving. It's the strategy of constant course correction. The slight edge is the process. You choose which way it goes, up with the 5% or down with the other 95%. You don't just make that choice once and then say, ah, I'm finished, now I'm all set. You make that choice moment to moment and keep making it every month and every day for the rest of your life. Each new moment will present you with a new slight edge choice to be made. Before long, it will become natural and automatic. But when you first begin, it will require your constant awareness. Is it easy to do? Yes. Is it easy not to do? Of course. If you don't do it, will your life collapse? No, not today. But that simple error in judgment, compounded over time, will pull you down the failure curve absolutely and irrevocably, no questions asked. Unless you accept the wealthy man's third gift, the choice, and keep on accepting it day by day and moment by moment. Throughout human history, and long before there were such things as books, universities, or continuing education programs, there has been one tried and true path for learning a skill, craft, art, trade, or profession. Go study with a master. All the great traditions of learning say the same thing. If you want to learn how to do something well, go find a master of that skill and apprentice yourself. The mentor-apprentice model is experiencing a tremendous surge in popularity right now. Mentoring networks, agencies, and organizations are springing up in all sorts of professions. And this doesn't surprise me in the least. With the advent of the internet culture, there has been an explosion in information over the past decade. Now we're starting to realize that information alone is not enough. And information plus personal experience, or the school of hard knocks, is not enough. We need some way to process all that information and experience and integrate it. And there's only one reliable, solid way to do that. Find someone who's already mastered an area and model yourself on that person's experience. To apply this principle doesn't require a formal mentor-apprentice relationship. Whatever goals you aspire to, just seek out people who have achieved the same or very similar goals or who are well along the path and go camp on their doorsteps or do whatever you can to associate with them, emulate them, let their grasp, understanding, and mastery of the subject rub off on you. If you want to raise the quality of your life, hang out with people who have been there and done that. If you want to be a great public speaker, spend time with great speakers. If you want to be a success in business, then find a way to spend time in the company of successful business people. If it's important to you to be a terrific parent, the best thing you can do to further that aim is to spend lots of time with men and women who have mastered parenting. You can define a society by the heroes it keeps. You can also define a person by the heroes he or she keeps. Who are your heroes? Who are you modeling yourself after? The 95% on the failure curve tend to accept the heroes society plants in front of them. Film stars, America's version of royalty. Rock stars, sports stars. I can certainly admire these folks, but I always ask myself, can I emulate them? Practically speaking, can I convert my admiration into constructive modeling that increases my learning and moves my own life forward? Too often, we make heroes out of people who can't help us, whose lives are fantasies, not genuine role models. Take a look at who your heroes are, write down a list and examine it. Ask yourself, can I become like them? Are these people doing the kinds of things that I aspire to do and living the kinds of lives that I aspire to live? Can they really help me become who I want to become? Find people who have done what you want to do and surround yourself with them. That's learning through modeling, and it's a powerful part of learning how to understand and use the slight edge. The Law of Association back in the very beginning of this book. While I was sitting at the Phoenix Airport,
Thinking about my new friend, the shoeshine woman, I mused over this thought. Your income tends to equal the average of the incomes of your five best friends. The principle does not apply solely to your finances. It operates in every aspect of your life. Your level of health will tend to be about the average level of health of your five best friends. Your personal development will be at about the average level of personal development of your five best friends. Your relationships, financial health, attitudes, level of success in your career, and everything else about your life will tend to be very close to the average level of each of these conditions in your five closest friends and associates. We all understand this principle instinctively. Our language is shot through with idioms that reflect it. You're known by the company you keep. Show me where you fish and I'll show you what you catch. Birds of a feather flock together. You are the combined average of the five people you associate with most, including the way you walk, talk, act, think, and dress. Your income, your accomplishments, even your values and philosophy will reflect them. The reason birds of a feather flock together is simply that they're all going in the same direction, headed for the same destination. Look at the people with whom you flock, the company you keep. What destination are they headed for? And is it where you want to be headed? This is a pass or fail test. There is no maybe about it. Remember, there is no standing still. We're all going in one of two directions, either up or down. Your association with each person you know is either empowering you or it's not, taking you up the success curve or down the failure curve. How can you tell? One way is to go back to the business of future and past, responsibility and blame. When you and this particular friend get together, are your conversations about responsibility, aspirations and taking initiative? Or do they often seem to work their way around to blame or its cousins envy, jealousy, resentment and irritation? Do your conversations focus more on the future or the past? It's only natural when you share a common history and set of experiences to enjoy reminiscing over fond memories. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, does your relationship have a forward-looking, positive feeling to it? Or do the two of you get together and always seem to end up circling events of the past, like a cat endlessly turning around and around before it can settle down to sleep? If your relationship with someone is a theme of blame and feeds on the past, it's disempowering. If it has a theme of responsibility, self-reflection and change, and feels like something moving into the future, it's empowering. There may be some people with whom you're now spending two days a week, where you might decide you need to take that down to two hours. There may also be people with whom you're spending only two minutes, where you'll realize you need to spend far more time with them, two hours or two days. For many people, I think this can be a tough aspect of the slight edge to understand and accept. Most everything else about the slight edge, as you already know, is easy to do. But disassociating yourself from people who do not empower you can be a sad and difficult thing to do. Especially if you love them. Especially if they're old friends or dear family. So take heart. By disassociating, I don't necessarily mean cutting them out of your life completely. exclusive. They just take careful thought and discernment. You're not judging those people. You're simply asking yourself to be honest about whether or not those relationships are empowering you and helping to support your purpose and realize your dreams. Chapter 10. And this is the slight edge for us. As I noticed, for us, it's only 60 minutes for us, and we're just going through for us, like it says, Thinking about for us, Jeff Olson, the slight edge for us, and like it says, when you, it's easy to do and easy not to do. So think about this with Adolph Bethune, and who are you with the Adolph Bethune podcast? And I'm going to just go ahead and go back to chapter 10, and once it finishes, you know, just think about for us, the slight edge in your life. First, you must write it down, make it specific, and give it a deadline. Next, you must look at it every day must understand and pay the price. And last, you 
must have a plan to start with. Step 1. Write it down.